Good morning. Good to see everybody here this morning. And as we think about the power that we have in the cross, we're reminded uh, today that the power that we have in Jesus Christ. I'm going to ask the fourth and fifth graders if they would be dismissed to their class. And we're going to continue our series. Actually, we're going to finish our series on power, the super, living the superhero life. And I know some of you have really missed Sam lately because I've heard you ask me now, is Sam going to be speaking this week? Well, we're, we're thinking whether or not to bring him back or not. How many of you want Sam to come back? Right? <laughs> No, he'll be, he'll be here starting next week, um, starting a new series, and a standalone series, and he's going to do a couple more series throughout the summer. We just thought we would give him a break because he deserves it. He works hard, and so we just um, thought that uh, we'd bring in the B team and let him take it over. So you'll be really looking forward to him next week. But um, as we finish this series on, on power, living the superhero life, I want to ask you to stand out of, out of respect for reading God's Word. And we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 6, and I'll start reading in, in verse 10. It says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of the dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you have done everything to stand, Stand firm then with the belt of truth tucked around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up, your, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Father, as we think about this armor that we have available to us, we thank you for your provision of protection in our lives, that we can face anything that comes our way. Father, right now, this morning, there's perhaps people who are distracted with what you want to say to each one of us. I pray that in these moments that we'd be able to set aside those distractions and to really be able to focus in, change us, challenge us, help us to become the people that you want us to be through the power of your word. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. You can have a seat. Back before Wendy and I had children, we spent a lot of time at some friend's house, and they had two small girls. And because we spent so much time over there, they got to start calling me Uncle Greg and Aunt Wendy, even though we're not related. We're just best friends. And, and uh, one of the things that they always wanted to do when we went over to their house was to play dolls. So they would always ask, Uncle Greg, can you play dolls with us? And uh, I never got into dolls anyway because, you know, you have these imaginary scenes and this imaginary voices. All right, do you want to go to the zoo? Yes, let's go to the zoo. Okay, let's go. And about 11 seconds later, I'd be flat out bored out of my mind. Well, the kind of dolls that they like to play were not your average kind of dolls. They like to play. They didn't play Barbie dolls or Baby Alive or Rub-A-Dub Dolly or anything like that. What they liked to play was paper dolls. You ever play paper dolls? Now, paper dolls is probably like the worst invention when it comes to dolls because they're not dolls. They're, they're paper and they fall apart, and they're fragile, and you try to get these clothes on them, and it's just all over the place, and these stanchions, things are tipping over, and I, I, it, was, it was a mess when they wanted to play paper dolls with me. Now, I say, why do I, what does this have to do with, the, with the God's Word and Ephesians and the Power Series? Well, I think sometimes when it comes for us living the superhuman life or the superhero life and living with this power that Jesus has put inside of us, I think a lot of the times we opt to live a paper doll life. 
We, we would rather opt to play it safe. We'd rather, have to, you know, we live these fragile lives and, and not sure if we should move forward. And we see things around us that aren't quite right and things in our relationships and in our home and in our job place aren't quite right and these battles are raging. And yet we don't live with that supernatural power that we have. We would rather just say, let's play it safe and let's play paper dolls as followers of Jesus. But that's not what God had intended for us. All throughout Scripture, we see that we're supposed to be the ones who take charge, who move forward, who step out, who confront certain acts of life. And I was almost tempted to just want to talk to the men this morning because I believe that we have a responsibility to be the spiritual leaders in our home. We set the pace as the spiritual leaders, and I think sometimes we fail miserably at that. I can say that as a, as a paid Christian, that I always don't succeed as well as I would like to in my home leading my family spiritually because other things come up. Like things come up like, well, I just want to watch ESPN. I want to chillax and watch the television. I, I want to be able to do what I want to do. I want to be able to read. I want to get on the Internet, whatever I want to do. And I, I choose the paper doll life rather than you know, boldly leading my family and courageously leading my family. But I just don't want to get on the men this morning because I think it's all of us. All of us have situations and battles that we face every day that we have the choice. Every day we have the choice whether we want to confront these battles or whether we just want to pull back and let things, the chips fall where they may. We have an opportunity, but not only do we have an opportunity, we have this command that God wants us to move forward. He wants us to fight the battles and to fight the battles well because we have the power. Because I think we're all tired from time to time of just thinking, you know what, I'm tired of being under the circumstances of a bad marriage. I'm tired of being under the bondage of this financial burden that I've put myself in. I'm tired of being you know, harassed by these, these images of people in the newspaper who senselessly kill other people. I'm, I'm tired of being able to read stories about people who can't even have enough to eat. I want to be able to do something about that. And every day that we see those things, we have a choice whether or not we want to fight or we want, whether we want to retreat. Every day we have that choice because we're tired of being that proverbial guy in the sand who gets sand kicked in his face. We don't want to be weaklings anymore. We want to be able to move forward and move ahead. And it can be challenging sometimes because I think every single one of us, when we have faced battles, we have daydreamed, what would it be like to really come up on top, uh, come out on top? What would it, be really, what would it really be like to be victorious over this one area of my life? And because life happens and because of certain things we're going to talk about in just a few moments, we would rather live defeated. We'd rather live these fragile, insecure, mamby-pamby kind of lifestyles when really what God calls us to do is to be bold and to put on his power to live in the supernatural power that he gives to us. Because in order to be able to really do the things that we want to do as a church, what God has put on the hearts of the people and the leadership and the people in the church is to be able to really make a difference in the 42,500 people's lives on this side of town. What, are we, what do we have to do to do that? In the first week of this message series, Sam talked about how do we bring hope to the people at Miami Hills? How do we instill that the, all the potential that the high school kids at Raleigh High School have? It's one thing to talk about it, but in order to be able to live that out, we can no longer afford to live these paper doll lives. We have to be able to live out this bold calling that God has put on our life. Now, if anyone's bold enough, come kill this fly. It was bothering me the first service, too. I don't know if you can see it up here. I smell good. I showered and everything. For you, just for you this morning, I showered. But anyway, I want to make um, four observations from the text that we just read a few moments ago. Four observations that we can learn from and how do we become and live this superhero life. Um, so when we start, the first one is that we need to acknowledge the battle. If we really want to walk boldly, if we want to conquer those things that, that burden us down and weigh us down and the circumstances that we live under, then we have to be able to acknowledge that there's even a battle. In, in verse 11, 
it says, put on the full armor of God. Now, you don't have to put on armor if there is no battle. Uh, I, you, you still, maybe in some parts of the world, people, soldiers walk around fully dressed for, for battle, but we don't really need to do that if there is no battle that we face. I mean, it's not too often that you see a football player from Notre Dame in Martins in full pads, right, and their helmet on, because there is no game happening in Martins. But this idea is that we, in order to know that there, we have to just acknowledge the battle in order so that we can be prepared for it. You see, what are the battles? Sometimes I think what happens is we don't even recognize the battles anymore because we've become so used to the challenges that we face. You see, we, we become, this fly is really going to drive me nuts. But if it bothers me too much, I'll just have to start over. But that's all right. You guys will be with me. <laughs> is that the battles that we face on a regular basis, we face battles all the time, battles in our relationships, as I was mentioning, battles in our finances. We, we face battles when we, when we just want justice to be done. We face the, the battle over poverty, senseless poverty. We, feel, we face the battle, okay, what is my meaning and purpose in life? We have all of these battles. You can pick out your own battle that you face on a regular basis. Maybe it's a battle with addiction. Maybe it's a battle with your children. Maybe it's a battle with a coworker. Whatever it might be, we face these battles. And we have to acknowledge that they exist because what happens, we just sometimes get used to it. You know, people, how are you doing? Well, under the circumstances. Well, we have the opportunity to change the circumstances, but we first have to recognize that there's a battle being waged. And here, here's one thing that I think that we're, we're sometimes we're afraid to move forward or we don't have the courage to step out in the power that God has given us because we think that our battle is only for us. But that's not, that's not true. Together as the church of Jesus who brought us here together this morning, is that we are to fight each other's battles. There, you, there is no force of one. You don't go out to face a battle alone. You'll be defeated and wiped out. So that's maybe another reason why we don't even attack these battles is because we think, well, what's the use? But you have to know that all of us together face each, you know, are there to encourage each other and face each other's enemies so that we can defeat them. It's a, it's a unity thing. Now, I know we don't know each other, what's going on in each, of, each other's lives, but if we should just know that we, this is a place that we can come and it's a safe place where we can come. We can know that people are here to fight for us for whatever it is that we're dealing with. But it's not such a safe place that we want to stay here. It's, a, it's, a, it's where we get encouraged and where we can be able to go back out to, to fight the enemy that really exists. And we'll talk about that enemy in just a few moments. But you know what's really troubling to me, and I've experienced this for years, and maybe some of you have too, and you don't quite get it either, is that we, we oftentimes we hear the reasons why people don't come to church on a Sunday morning. I forget, I mean, I grew up in a tradition where you went every Sunday no matter what. So I'm not talking about just coming for that. But the writer of Hebrews says that we should not forsake meeting together, as some of you are in the habit of doing, but we should come together in order to encourage one another. You see, sometimes people just use the lamest excuses why they can't make it to church. It's not about coming to church, but it's about coming to be encouraged. See, as, as the writer of of Hebrews says, we should not forsake meeting you. That word forsake means don't leave anybody behind. Don't, don't leave yourself behind. If you've been in the military, you know that that's the military motto. No man or no person, to make it you know, across the board, no person left behind. And it's the same thing that the writer of Hebrews is saying. We can't afford in these battles that we fight to just be left behind. And you have to gather together. Because people will use any kind of excuse. Well, I stayed out too late last night. Try that on your boss. I, I'm sorry, I'm not, I, I stayed out too late last night. Or maybe, you know, it's been raining all week. I really got to cut my grass. I got to get that grass cut. Or, or how about, well, you know, 
that, that, that race does sound good. I think I'll go to the race instead of go to church. Now, I'm not saying that there's not time to rest and recreate, and you don't have to be here all the time because I don't want to make it legalistic. But let's just, you know, I, I think sometimes it's even good for people to miss church because they can actually see how little their life revolves around God. But if they actually understand the reason why we come together, it's to encourage each other and lift each other up. Your singing encourages another person. As I stood in the back this morning and I watched people raise their hands to a certain part of the song, that's encouraging to me because I know that other people are making a connection with God. We need each other to stay connected. So we cannot forsake the meeting together of some. Now, not you because you're here, but the person, you know, that's not here. Just tell them to go listen to the message on the podcast. But we have to acknowledge the battle, and we have to acknowledge that we are not in this fight alone. The second observation from this text is that we have to be able to identify the enemy. Identify the enemy. We have to find out who are the Lex Luthers and the, the Jokers in our lives. Verse 12 says, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. See, the battle, the enemy that we face is not the person next to you. The enemy that you face is not your neighbor who has ridiculously crazy dogs that never stop barking. Your enemy is not the customer service rep on the other end of the line. Your enemy is not sitting next to you this morning. Your enemy is not the person you're going to go to work with tomorrow. The enemy is spiritual. Now, I know to me, I'll tell you, I I don't really live in that realm all the time. I'm thinking that the spiritual warfare, I trust that it exists because God's word says that it exists, and I know it does. It's not, but it's not like the devil made me do it. It's not that kind of thing. But we have to recognize and somehow grasp this concept that there is a spiritual warfare going on, and our enemy is the devil. Now, that's one of the, great, one of the greatest lies that the devil wants us to believe is that he doesn't exist. But it's not hard to recognize that there's evil in this world. I mean, when you read about children who are, who are abused, or you, you read about people who go hungry in other parts of the world, or another senseless shooting, or whatever it might be. We just know, you can just look at the paper, or watch the news, is that you know that the devil exists. And so we have to understand that our enemy is the devil, because he is a liar, and he is a schemer, and he is a deceiver. And he'll do anything he can to get us off of our game. He'll tell us that, you know what, you're not worth it. You'll never amount to anything. You'll never accomplish it. You, want, you really want to take care of the kids at Raleigh High School? You want to buy Miami Hills? Are you crazy? You want to eradicate crime from the south side of South Bend? You're nuts. That's what Satan will say. And the challenge is, is that we buy into it. And the reason why that we buy into it is because all of us, because Satan knows where all of our weak spots are. We all have places of vulnerability that he can get us at every single time. What, your, what my weak spot is is different than what your weak spot is. I'm not going to tell you mine, but Satan knows it well, and he comes at me a lot of times in that. But it could be areas of this. It, weaknesses could be pride. Weaknesses could be anger, easily angered. Weaknesses could be lust. Weakness could be selfishness. Weaknesses could be ego. Whatever it might be, Satan knows what our weaknesses are, and that's exactly the place that he'll come and hit us at. I mean, you, you, you don't have to know about spiritual warfare, that that's just a rule of nature. You can watch the National Geographic channel and figure that out. Because when a lion is ready to attack a herd of antelopes or whatever they attack, where do they go? They go to the back of the pack. They go to the ones who are the weakest, who are the most fragile. See, when we choose to live paper doll lives, that, that's us. When we separate out of the pack and we decide that we don't need church, that's us. When we languish behind, that's us. And Satan knows exactly where to attack us. And it doesn't just happen here. It will happen later this week. And every one of you can know, you should all know what your weakness is. I, I don't have to even 
do that. You don't have to think that hard. Where, where are you most tempted by Satan to live in, in a way that, that is uh, offensive to other people? We all know what our weaknesses are. And the challenge with that, in order to help us as we identify this enemy, is to be able to know when are we most vulnerable. Because those are, that's true to where we're most vulnerable. If lack of sleep, when we're hungry, when there's stress, when the kids misbehave, we all know when those times are when we're most vulnerable to attack. We just have to protect against that. And let me just say, sometimes for us who are followers of Jesus, the most vulnerable time we have is when we've just come out of some kind of spiritual success. When we just had a moment with God in the morning where we think, man, that was the best time I had with God in a long time. When we've come back from a retreat, when we've gone to a camp, whatever it might be, those are the times when we, often feel, when we are often most vulnerable because somehow we just think we can arrive and we have to be on guard for the enemy because in order to defeat this enemy, we have to be able to define it. So you have to know what your weakness is and you have to know when he is most likely to attack. So it's acknowledge the battle and then identify the enemy. The third observation is that we need to prepare for war. We need to prepare for war. And here what the writer Paul does to the letter to the Ephesian church is he uses a familiar image. He uses the imagery of a soldier's armor as a metaphor for the spiritual armor that we must put on. And he lists six different pieces of armor that we must wear. Five of them are defensive. One of them is offensive. And I'm going to talk a little bit more about the offensive one, but I want to just kind of walk us through those five defensive pieces of armor because essentially what we're doing when we put on that armor is we're putting on the character and on the nature of God. We're putting on, we're putting on his protection. See, God, God gives us to us. Look, look back in verse 11, it said that put on the armor of God. It's God's armor that we're wearing. It's his character. It's his nature. It's his attributes that we're wearing when we put this on. And so let me just walk through rather quickly these, uh, these um, pieces of armor. Verse 13, therefore put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground and after you've done everything to stand. Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist. That's the first piece of armor is the belt of truth. Now, there's no real... I'm not going to go on, well, you know that the, the belt was, you know, made out of leather, and the leather represents this Old Testament sacrifice of animals. That's not all in here. It's basically a simple metaphor. It means that we have to be girded up with the truth. Gird, that's a fancy, you know, they girded up their loins so they could run. It was a belt that held them together. And this idea of being girded with the truth or knowing the truth is not just that you, understand, that you believe that Jesus died and you believe that Jesus is the Son of God and you believe that he rose from the dead, but do those truths make a difference in your life? Do, they, do, they, do you rely on those truths for everyday living? Paul writes to the Ephesians, we need to, we need to be locked in. We need to have that truth, and we need to trust it. The second thing that, that he says is that there's this breastplate of righteousness. Proverbs 4.23 says, above all else, guard your heart. When we put on this breastplate of righteousness, it's not, necessarily, it's not the righteousness that comes from Christ. What Paul is alluding to is that there's a righteousness in a way that we need to live. That we need to live lives that are honest, that live lives with, with high integrity, high morals. And everywhere we go, we should be able to, to have that sense of that my heart is guarded, it's not hard towards the things of God, and that I'm actually living out this life, that I'm confronting my life, kind of confronting the battles in my life in, in a way that's, that's honorable to God. That we don't make decisions that put us in, in places that, are, that are, will get us into trouble. There's a church that I drive past on the way here. And I don't really much care for church signs. There's a lot of them that are cheesy. But this particular church sign says, take God with you wherever you go. 
And if you can't bring God, don't go there. And I think that's kind of this idea of righteous living, is that when we wear this, righteous, this breastplate of righteousness, and that we guard our hearts, we guard our emotions, we, we, we're just protecting that we don't let Satan get in there and try to convince us of things that, that aren't right and aren't true. The third thing is that the feet that are fitted with the gospel of peace. Now, in those, those days when they fought battles, essentially the, the, the ground was very rocky, so they didn't have very firm footing. So they would wear these sandals with long, long spikes in them so they could have a firm ground. It's defensive, so if they're, if they're going to be under attack, they wouldn't slip and fall because when you're on your butt, you're not very, you're not very good. And so they had these, 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 um, these really spikes or nails or something in the bottom of their sandals so they would hold firm to the ground. And it's firm in the gospel of peace. In other words, we need to know that whatever battle we're facing, whatever your battle you're facing, is that we have the peace of God in our lives. We can stand firm on that. And so that's, Paul just brings it up. He said, you're facing battles? Then, then stand firm with the gospel of, of peace. And then the next one that he talks about, he says in verse 16, in addition to, take, to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. It means when you're under attack, when you feel under attack, you don't have to give in to it. You don't have to succumb to the attack. You can just hold up the shield of faith. That's, you know what? My faith is bigger than you are. The faith that you have in Jesus, the faith in the stories that he told, you just hold that up. You just, you just extinguish the fiery darts. That's just an, an imagery when they would fire darts back in, in the first century. They would light them on fire. They'd hit these shields that were usually doused in water, and the, the flame would be extinguished. No deep theological meaning. They're just let your faith be the one that, that helps you win the battle. And he goes on. He says, take the helmet of salvation. And that's the last defensive weapon. It's the helmet of salvation. It's just not that you put on the salvation. Yeah, I'm saved. That Jesus was, you know, he saved me. He forgave me of my sins. And now he's the leader and Lord of my life. This is knowing. This is knowing for sure that no matter what we go through, that we are secure in Christ. That we have a salvation that comes only from him. That he's our source. That, that we, we, we're guaranteed that, that heaven belongs to us. John 1.12 says this. If maybe some of you are, are wondering about that, the battles you go through. Do I really belong to Jesus? Well, John 1.12 says, To those who have received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. And when you're a child of God, you're always a child of God. So you wear this helmet of salvation that you just, you just know that you know that you belong to Jesus. And then Paul introduces the offensive weapon, the only offensive weapon in this list of six, and that is, that is the Spirit, the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. It's this. I was in Starbucks meeting with a guy, and, and I had left my Bible behind, and I'm going, going out to the car, <clears throat> and the barista says, hey, she knew who I was, hey, Greg, you forgot your sword. Oh, my sword, what? Your Bible. Oh, my Bible. Yeah, Okay. Well, when you think about when Paul wrote to the, to the Ephesian church, he said the word of God. See, we have the whole thing. We, we, we have all 66 books. What I'm thinking, what did they have in that first century? When they said the word of God, what, what did they have? Well, they had the Old Testament, which I think is a great book for, for this culture to have, because they, given this topic, because they knew that God was a warrior God. They knew that he was a fighting God. They knew that he, he was a battling God, and, and he was vengeful, and he was fair, and he was just. They understood that. But we have the whole thing. We have the whole Word of God. And I think if we fall short in the battles that we face, it's because while we might know what's in here, I don't know how much we put our faith in stock of what's in here. I don't know that we have it in the deep recesses of our heart. Because what will Satan will try to do as he lies to us and he tries to deceive us is he'll only give us half the story. 
I don't know what battle it is that you're, you're facing. I, I don't know what trial you're, you're under. But possibly it's too big for you to handle. And every night when you go to bed or when you wake up or just throughout your day, Satan reminds you, you know what? That problem, that battle is way too big for you to handle. You, you can't do that by yourself. And we start to believe that. We go, you're right, I can't. I, I can't. I can't do that. And so we don't do anything about it. We just live under the circumstances, and we live paper doll lives. But the rest of the story, since we have the sword, when Satan tells us, you know what? That problem's too big. We just have to agree. Say, you know what? That problem is too big. But you know what? 1 John 4, 4 says that greater is he that is in me than is he that is in the world. And we just, we just take over. We just take over the battle. You know, maybe, maybe you grew up and someone told you you weren't, you weren't worth anything by their actions, by their words. They said, you know what, you'll never amount to anything. And maybe, maybe you don't have as much money as somebody else, or you don't have the, the good looks, or you don't have what you think that you should have. You just started to believe the lie when Satan says, you know what, you? You're the one who's going to try to overcome that battle by yourself. Are you kidding me? What, what can you do? What, what can you really do? You know, you can say, well, you know what, I didn't have the best upbringing. You can believe some of that, but Satan will always try to turn things around. You say, you know what, I, I, yeah, maybe I didn't. But you know what? Psalm 139.14 says that I am fearfully and wonderfully made. And if God made me this way, and this is the circumstances that I have, then by golly, I can, I can do this. I can overcome this battle. Maybe just the assignment, I mean, sometimes can just be, seem just way overwhelming. Maybe you think, oh, how does a church of, of three, 400, 500 adults, whatever we have here, how, how do we really make a difference in the 42,500 lives on the south side of South Bend? How can we really afford to buy Miami Hills apartments? What, what can we really do? You know, really. But then we just have to remember Romans 37. It says, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. You know what? The task is big. It is huge. We can't do all that. But we have to finish the rest of the story. And here's, here's one I think that, that we get all tripped up on. If, we don't, if we're not willing to use the sword, we'll start to really believe the lies. Because what happens is, you know, we know what's in our past. We know all the things that we've done wrong. We know the bad choices. We know the sin. We know the behavior. Maybe even just this week. And Satan will tell us, you know what? Your life, you think you're going to make a difference? You think you're going to fight this battle for God? Well, good luck with that. We can say, you know what? Maybe, maybe I haven't always made the best choices. Maybe I'm not the one who can, who can do this all by myself. But you know what? Galatians 2.20 says that I have been crucified with Christ. In this life I now live in the body, I live by the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. You see, when we don't have the rest of the truth, when we don't use this, when we don't wield the sword properly, we're going to be defeated every time. And some of you are living in, in circumstances that for years... That you just believe the lies of Satan and you think there's impo- it's an impossibility for you to be able to overcome. But you haven't really claimed the word of God. You, you, you know what's in here, but you haven't used it as an offensive weapon to win the battles. And we just settle for these, these paper doll kind of lives. And that's not what the power that we have. That's not what God has, has told us to do. He's given us huge assignments to be able to go out and, and speak and reflect his love and glory and forgiveness and grace to a world that's in desperate need. And we have a choice. We can either live defeated by the battles or we can do something about it. We can step out and we can make a difference. And and we do. I'm not saying that it's all hopeless. Recess is a great example of us picking up the sword and saying, you know what, we're going to do something about the kids over at Miami. We're getting started. But I think all too often we kind of just cower back and go, "Ah, I don't know if I can do that. I just don't, don't know if I have that in me. 
but according to Paul's words, who was writing to a first century church who dealt with the same problems we had. You know, we, we think that they had it easy. Well, if I was a Christian in the first century, everything, I'd see all the miracles, and that would be great. But they, they deal with the same stuff we do. It was just as easy to be a, a paper doll Christian in the first century as it is in the 21st century because they were under attack, and they were not believed, and they were outnumbered, and yet they did something. Imagine what would have happened if they would have folded up shop. Imagine if they said, you know, this just isn't worth it. We, we, chances are we wouldn't even be meeting in this room today. And so they went forward with power. And so the last thing that we need to do is once we prepare for war and move forward is that we need to be able to declare the victory because we know, we know that how the story ends. We don't have to live with the uncertainty of knowing. Maybe, maybe the devil is eking out a few victories every once and again, but ultimately we know how the story ends, that Jesus wins. And when, when we know the end of the story, it impacts the way we live. It, it impacts the way that we respond to certain situations in our life. Th- think of it like this. Anyone ever, like, DVR, a, a sporting event, and before you could watch it, someone told you the final score? Anyone ever that happened to somebody? This happened to me not too long ago during the Stanley Cup Finals. I have a friend who loves the Detroit Red Wings. I mean, I mean, I was over at his house, and he was watching the game. He forgot I was even there. I mean, that's how serious he is about the Detroit Red Wings. But the game was going to come on, and, and it was a, a later night game. It was a different game in the series. And I, and I texted him the next day. I said, man, Sorry to hear about the Detroit Red Wings. He goes, Whoa, oh, man, I didn't get to watch it. You mean they lost? And he was just all upset. And it just, I, could, I didn't see his face, but I could just tell like he was ready to vomit because I just told him the answer. But I know when he went back and he watched it on DVR, he didn't have the same reaction because he knew they lost. Now, maybe that's not a great example because the team lost, but all of us have had that happen when a team has won. If we know that our team wins and we can, we can just sit back and go, you know what, it doesn't look good right now, but I know the final score. And that's what we have with the word of God. So we can declare the victory when we, when we fight these battles that we have. So points of application for you this morning. Maybe some of you here this morning, maybe for the first time, you need to tap into that power. Maybe you've been facing battles all your life and you've been trying to do it on your own. Have you, and you never accepted Jesus was the, the power that you need, that you never really truthfully said, you know what, I'm going to stake my life and my future on this relationship with Jesus. I know that he came, I know that he loved me, but I'm going to really start living that way. Maybe for you this morning, that's the first decision that you would need to make. Maybe for some of other you, others of you, the, the thing that you need to just hold on to is no matter what battle you're in, no matter how dark it seems, no how bad it feels, no how painful it is, just hold on, because God will never let go. God wins. He's taking you through something, perhaps, to, to develop more of his character in you, or whatever the circumstance might be. I don't know the answers of why you might be going through a struggle, but just hold on, because we know who wins the battle. And we just need to know that we are the superheroes, that all of us have something in us that can, can, can radically change another person's life, that can transform a community, and can alter the moral fabric of a city if we just keep pressing on, if we don't hold back. See, it's time to put away the paper dolls, It's time to put on the armor of God, so let's go fight. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we all recognize that there are times in our life when it was much easier just to retreat than it was to move forward. And yet we see in in your words that you have not given us a spirit of timidity, but one of power, that we can move forward in boldness and with courage to confront the schemes of the evil one, that we're able to win, that we can make a difference in the relationships in our lives. We don't have to give in to them. 
We don't have to be tempted to, to stray and to go a different way than what you've called us to. We can make a difference in this city. So give us the courage and the wisdom to know how to do that. Give us the boldness that we need to be able to live victoriously for you. Your promise to us is that you won't let go no matter what kind of battle that we're in. No matter how challenging our future seems, we can stand firm on your truth. We know that we have your protection. You've given us the provision of your protection through the armor that we wear. Help us to be able to to do what's necessary, to not cower, to not live this paper doll life, but to be able to move forward in the supernatural power that comes from you. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.